throat right at the beginning of the show. <laughs> oh, what a great way. That's how this podcast will start. Me going. Meantime. <clears throat> you know what? Is this thing on? Yeah. The funny thing is, I really am a professional. I know I pretend that I'm not, but I, I really am a seasoned professional, and I should know better than to just go. I, I, I consider myself a semi-professional. <laughs> Uh, I consider myself a semi-grown-up. Okay, so that's how it starts. Welcome to Swing Thoughts. Nerds, golf nerds and STDs and uh, decade devotees and O'Connor quiet mind. Uh, It's all one community. Uh, I'm golf spiritual leader, as you know. Humble Howard. And uh, Tim O'Connor, of course, uh, my spiritual partner and uh, podcast partner and uh, dear friend. And he is a... Uh, namaste to you, too. Namaste, namaste. Tim O'Connor, of course, not only a mental performance coach, but now an Ontario Golf Hall of Fame recipient. Wow! Look at the credibility that we've just gained from your recent fetting. <laughs> uh, perceived credibility. Well, listen, man. We uh, we benefit from it all, and uh, so do others. Listen, it's uh, it's swing thoughts brought to you by TaylorMade Golf. How exciting to announce that swing thoughts will once again. I feel like a uh, like a tour player. We're exempt through the twenty twenty three season. <laughs> We're exempt from buying our own golf shit for one more year. Yeah, I don't have a golf ball to hold up. Like TaylorMade, man. Um, yeah, I just got my uh, note from Nick about the equipment and uh, what's available when. And I'm going to be doing my fitting uh, around the uh, second week of December. Cool. It is cool. Yeah, well, you know, I think it's good to do the fitting relatively close to the conclusion of the most recent golf season. Yeah. You'll still, I mean, your swing is your swing, but... I don't know. For some reason, I think it just makes sense rather than in the middle. But I won't be. But you're different from me. You're going to be actually hitting many golf balls off green grass this winter. I'm going to be mostly hitting them off of artificial turf into computer simulations. But yeah, yeah, you got an amazing winter. Well, uh, uh, thank you. Uh, Because of the job, my real job, not even a real job, because of my other job, uh, Fred and I were just talking about it. Because of the, it started with the pandemic. Like you and I, actually, you and I predate the Humble and Fred show doing our show remotely because you used to come in and sit across from me in our studio. And then we figured out that you coming in from Guelph wasn't necessary if we just did the show. Did you, I think it was you actually, you were the first person I knew that we did a Zoom meeting with. Yeah, so, yeah, what happened was, and, um, you know, as we've talked about, I've been a member of the Mankind Project for almost 20 years, and these guys were using Zoom to do all kinds of meetings. You'd have meetings across the country with people, and sometimes internationally, and I just went, hey, Howard, uh, why don't we try this? Yeah. And it worked great, and the the technology, I have, um, I think they call it a MIDI so it's a thing that just connect this this microphone with through the interface to the computer. And the sound is amazing. I've had yeah. people tell us that the production values 
of our show at better than most podcasts. Oh, easily. And I'm sitting and I'm sitting in my office in Guelph. Well, and, and before, listen, we used to do the show in a full-blown radio studio that I had built in the house here. And we pulled that board out about two years ago. And that was a full-on mixing board like, you know, some of you people have seen in TVs and movies and things. Like a 20-channel. concert. Yeah, and we got rid of that and replaced it with something half the size of my laptop that is that gives us, you know, we call it broadcast quality. But, but anyway, getting back to how the uh, pandemic has changed the Humble and Fred show and why I'm going to be able to do it away from Toronto is because of that. Because... When the pandemic hit, we were already pretty comfortable, you and I doing the show on Zoom, and then Fred and I got really comfortable. Think about it. Four days a week for almost two years plus now, we've been interviewing guests, we've been doing the show remotely, and and so because of that, I'm going to be doing the show for the next month in Mexico. I'm coming back for six weeks, and I'm going back to Mexico in the first part of the winter, then I'm going to do a month in Orlando, hanging out with Doolin, all the while recording my regular show four days a week um because i'm uh resigned i just i'm just and i don't know about you but i'm just cold all the time <laughs> so i just don't want to be cold anymore i mean part of it is to continue golfing obviously yeah just a little too just a wee bit a tiny, tiny bit, bit of bit. golf although you know I just, I just did a two-week trip with my ex-wife which was uh, interesting. I told you about it, and I didn't uh, do any golf swinging. I want to get to actually. I want to get to the golf swinging part at some point on the show about how that eleven days or twelve days, because I got sick. By the way, I didn't tell you that part. Yes, you did. Oh, did I tell you, you got, I got the COVID? You the vid, got the big C. The I got COVID. the vid. I got the vid one nine. That's what I'm trying to call. I'm trying to start a new phrase. I'm calling it the vid one nine. So because of the vid one nine, and because before the trip, I didn't. I probably went. 14 or 15 days without touching a golf club, which is the longest in calendar year, 2022. You didn't get, you didn't get like a facial tick or anything? Or? You know, everyone said that to me. A couple of people like, are you going through withdrawal? I said, no, I'm not a, you know, what do you people think of me? I'm not a, well, I'm a bit of a nerd, but I'll tell you what happened. Yeah, just a touch. A touch. But anyway, <laughs> later on in the show, I'll tell you about what my golf was like when I came back after that break. Um, you mentioned the Mankind Project, and if you were a follower of O'ConnorGolf.ca, as I am, Tim has uh, put up another uh, great blog, and I got a chance to read this in a preview, which is interesting, because uh, I, I thought that was you, you wanted to see what I thought of it. And it's a direct um, line, as you said, to the Mankind Project, which for people who don't know, Tim's been working with men in a uh, emotional support for a long time. And I had said this to you a couple of weeks ago that your sort of secret power or your, you know, your superpower is the ability to connect with men golfers in a way that not very many other people ever get to do because of your unique experience with the mankind project. Yeah. Well, thanks. Um, yeah. I just came off staffing for the 26th time um an event that the mankind project in ontario holds every couple years called the new warrior training adventure and that's so it's really amazing it's um it's an incredible event that happens in which you know men can have a a place to talk about those things they never ever talk about and it's quite amazing to see 
a man who will talk about something really, really important in his life in front of what were 30 strangers, sometimes upwards of 60 strangers when you count everyone else there, and just learning how to be, in essence, uh, a better man, being responsible, being emotionally literate, understanding the impacts that they have on others. It's, it, it's, I'm still, as you can probably tell, still kind of in the afterglow of, of that weekend. And uh, they blow me away with the impacts they have on, on men's lives. It's, it's, it, it is really amazing. And I probably sound like a bit of a zealot, but um, yeah, I just think it's such an amazing experience. And there's other experiences like that. That men can have not just the mankind project, but, but it may. But, um, I, I mean, first of all, I sound as excited as you want, but I, I mean, I've known you now long enough to know that there's the post weekend O'Connor vibe, which is you know you come away with that re-energize. But maybe because I I had pointed out that I thought your unique experience with that, and I'm familiar with it enough to have a a sense of what those weekends are like. Draw a line between that. And, and, and here's two things you might want to chew on. How that experience with that group helps you talk to male golfers. And what are some of the things that male golfers, and I say that especially because I feel, I feel like women are different. They're very comfortable sharing how they feel. Mm-hmm. And that's what they do. Yeah. Whereas we aren't. So how take those two uh, prongs of that uh, whatever. And uh, so how does a Mankind Project help you with golfers and what are some of the things that male golfers struggle with emotionally well well, right on that right on that is uh certainly emotion uh i've joked with you before that men have five emotions that they will talk about and display (laughs) anger 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 that's right might have just been four that's all right it's funny it's a funny bet all right um yeah Uh, so in, in our in our in our Western culture and and around a lot of the world is that uh, we're told as men, you know, you don't cry, all that good stuff. You don't show vulnerability. Uh, And in essence, whatever these other emotions, especially sadness, uh, fear and shame, push those away. Like George Carlin should say, touch flaming wood and get them out of here. Just not deal with them. And so I think the consequence for golfers is that we have these emotions. Uh, we all have, them. I don't care who the hell you are, but we try to push them away and suppress them. And thus we don't even know what we're feeling. And if you're not, you know, as the phrase goes in touch with your feelings, knowing what's going on, then you are in essence, you're not, you're caught by them. And often we don't even know. We don't even know that we're simmering uh, with anger and thus we've got, you know, white knuckle grip on the club and tension and swinging like Zorro Mm -hmm. or just or what's going on. And if you don't know what's going on, then you cannot access a state that allows you to play good golf or just be a nice person or experience the world with a degree of, of freedom and equanimity. Because largely we don't, we're not emotionally literate as men. Most right. of us, we do not know. So, the but, but project, if I may just jump quickly before you get to continue, what you, say, you know, what you're saying is so true. We've pointed this out before that uh, men are very comfortable on the golf course. You know, I certainly was one of the worst being comfortable displaying anger, frustration, and disappointment. 
we're not very comfortable um, displaying uh, how we truly feel and joy. It's almost like getting excited over a good shot is like a sign of weakness somehow. But I mean, one of the things that Tiger did, and he got mocked for it initially, was that fist pump. That's right. That's what he was doing. He was cementing a positive emotion. And and most of us do the opposite. We cement negative emotions because, as you said, you know, there's only a few that men are comfortable displaying. And we really cement those. We really do a, a great job of imprinting negativity on our games and we ignore those moments of joy. Please continue. Yeah, because so much of it, because we're so damn afraid. <laughs> we are just a quivering bag of fear, us men, m- many of us, because we're, we're afraid of being judged. So if you express joy, then, you know, well, are you a little out of control? Yeah. It's actually even thought in many ways, like if you're like lose control of yourself laughing, it's almost effeminate. It's viewed as not really a, a super manly thing to do. Men are in control. Men are stoic. It's, you know, I got, you know, we're, we're Marlboro man or whatever cliche you want to draw on. But just on that point you made about men, it, I've always found it so interesting. Let's say, uh, you know, in your group of guys that play Saturday mornings or, or my group of guys, someone shoots a pretty good score. So all the guys are in the room around the table and someone said, hey, Bill, way to go. You know, you, you know, you guys shy grace and he'll maybe go, yeah, I had it going today. Yeah. And that's it. Doesn't want to be braggadocious, which I love that word. You and I'm pretty sure you invented <laughs> that right. word. I, I didn't, but I use it all the time. Yeah. So heaven forbid we boast or brag because someone might think, oh, isn't he so full of himself? Yeah. But you hear the guys come in and go like, oh, yeah. Uh, oh my gosh, uh, Frank! Not the greatest today. Oh yeah, five three putts on the back nine, and I sculled, and yeah. I hit fat shots. It was terrible. Yeah, and they drone on. And it, one of the things that you know, at the risk of droning on myself, one of the things that I noticed with uh, the University of Guelph golf team when I was a coach after a game on the bus home, if I didn't interrupt, you would just have this nonstop barrage of complaining yeah, well, we're about wrong. what happened to them. Oh, you yeah. believe what happened on 15? And another kid would just go, oh, that's nothing on 17 and just tales of woe and misery. Yep. And all we do is bolster, underscore, reinforce those negative feelings. And it's just totally stupid. Well, and it's ass backwards because... <laughs> yes, absolutely ass backwards. You know, we've been doing this show for seven years. We've interviewed, you know, a, a host of experts. We've tried to... You know, through our own learning, impart some words that other people can, you know, use in their own golf games. But one of the biggest ones that I started doing a few years ago, and, and you know, we've had different people. Ken Osborne is one of them that talks about journaling after a round. But, but part of what I do, and I do it, you know, again, I may not be as boisterous in my celebrations as I was in my throwing clubs into forests. <laughs> but... What I've tried to do is to acknowledge when the round's over to be realistic about what happened. And what I mean by saying realistic is to acknowledge that, yes, I had some very good shots today because of what you just said, the recency bias of negativity. 
because we all have a negative recency bias as human beings. We dwell on what went wrong because of, you know, the idea of that keeps us safe to know where danger was. But golfers always do the opposite. They overdo what you said, the post-mortem of how shit things were. And they underdo the, man, I had some good shots today. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the key piece there is, as I was saying earlier, is fear. Fear they're going to be judged. Fear what other people are going to think, what they're going to say about us. Yes. Oh, that O'Connor, he's so full of himself. Did you hear how he's prattling on about, oh, we had some flow going on the front nine and swinging on instinct or something? And that's the st- And so thus, what we do is we shut ourselves, our authentic selves down. We're always careful. Oh, and what the Mankind Project helped me understand about 20 years ago is that, you know, I was going through life with my foot, one foot over the brake, always cautious, careful not to make a mistake. What will people think? You know, am I will I not show people that I'm as uh, competent, professional, hardworking as I want them all to think I am? And it's fucking nonsense. It's also exhausting. Uh, yeah, no one no one has any control over I don't have any control what they're going to think anyways. Right. I could do all those things I still think, "Oh, he's a dick." Well, and that's the thing, you know, I've, you know, I've been under a lot of not a lot. I've been under I've been scrutinized as a job for my entire life. 100%. I mean, you know, I literally every working moment of my life, whether it was radio or stand up or hosting, you know, things. There's a, a certain amount of scrutiny and and it can be Scrutiny, you know, sometimes has a negative connotation, but there's all I've had people judging me constantly. So I'm looking at your blog and one of the things that you talk about is sticking up for yourself. So maybe I over index in the sticking up for myself because I have a a lot of experience in both having my feelings hurt and also having people discuss me. Mm-hmm. In real time, like I can, we do our show every day on as a podcast, but it's also it's uh, on Facebook Live. So if I really want, and I don't do it during the show for this reason, I don't want to know what people are thinking while I'm doing my show because right. it's none of my business, and it will affect me adversely if somebody says something negative. It just does. That being said. You know, you wrote this article about sticking up for yourself on the golf course, which I'm very comfortable doing. One of the things that I don't like is music on the golf course. I just don't like it. And I have now got the reputation as the guy that doesn't like music on the golf course. But I don't give a shit. So my joke to somebody, and it came up recently. Now, I've played three rounds of golf in the last little while where they were playing music. And of course, it always comes up, oh, Howard doesn't like music. And my joke is, Howard loves music. He just doesn't like your music. So that's number one way of deflecting. Like, do I really have to listen? But I I thought to myself, you know what? It's the fall golf season. I do like some music. I don't mind it. And there's nothing at stake here. So I'm not going to say anything. Mm. And of course, it came up. Are you okay with it? And I said, you know what? Here's the thing. I'm okay with it today. I said, if you just do me a favor, just when I'm hitting, if you're near me, turn it down because it's just over the ball that I do have. A, I have trouble focusing and it's a legitimate thing. I put my hand up. I I'm, and I think, and by the way, I think a lot of people feel that way. I don't mind. You know, I like uh, on this round I played on Sunday, one of the really nice guys, Scott Curtis is his name. Great guy. 
played music and we were talking about music and he's a, he's a humble, he knows humble and Fred and knows I've been around music. And I said to him, you know, the music is pleasant. He was playing some tragically hip and such. A couple times he had a few like, I don't know if it was Iron Maiden. I said, okay, that's the case. You have to shut that off. It's not because we're on a golf course. It's just because I hate it. But um, for the most part, it was fairly pleasant, except for when I was over the ball. And I yeah. just can't shut it out. So he was fine. He you know, either wasn't near me or when he was, just turned it down a little bit. And that's all I asked. Um, but to your point in your blog about sticking up for yourself, we as lots of times as golfers... We're annoyed by the people we're playing with, by how they're showing up, by standing in your line. I could name 10 things that are in your, in your, and, and you know what? We should stick up for ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you're screwing yourself over if you don't. And in essence, you're allowing people to screw yourself, them to screw you, screw you over. Right. They're influencing your experience. like in really experienced com- in competitive golf match play, they'll use that. The, the guys will intentionally try to f with you. Um, you know, I'm not really bi- I'm not big on that at all. Um, I'm not. You know, I might early in a match I might give a few putts uh, and and in the back nine maybe not give. Putts yeah, that's pretty standard. Similar. Yeah, but that's not. Sure. Yeah, that's just, exactly. people expect but, that. Yeah, but. Um, yeah, I mean, if you don't really, again, okay, I, I think if we come back, why do we do that? It's like, oh, if I ask this guy to move, he's going to think I'm a dick. Well, he might think I'm a dick anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, but if I don't, again, if it's, if, it, 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 it's like people who uh, talk about how uh, they scrimp on, say, sleep or whatever I have all the I have the, my kids take care of or or the household or or at my job or this and that I always just say look man if you don't take care of you you're going to be worth bugger all the rest of these folks anyways you got to start from a place of 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 yeah you could put it in a different different ways standing up for yourself advocating what do you need now, of course, it's all in balance and proportional, and some things are appropriate, and some things you can put up with, like you just discussed. End of the season fall, I'm, you know, some music. I'm not the big on it, but you know, I'm okay. But well, and, if we and- don't, if you don't advocate for yourself, you're basically, and you know, it sounds way dramatic. In essence, you're lying to yourself. Exactly, and I was going to say too, like I'm not the only one in that group of people that doesn't like music, but the other guys. They think it's like, I know they don't like it, but they don't want to say anything because they don't want to be the guy, just as you described. They don't want to be an advocate for themselves because, you know, God forbid what 40 other, you know, white guys from Milton think about them. But because I've got a, again, a history and my job is all about people judging me. And it doesn't mean that I'm, I don't get hurt by it, but I'm just a little bit more used to it. So I don't care. Can I ask you a question? Yes. At a certain point in your a career as a morning radio person in which jocularity and having fun are a big thing and creativity and my phone is ringing. It's fine. Um, and especially as a stand-up, I'm not sure if this consciously came to you, but my sense is that you, if you perhaps learned or became conscious that if you didn't access your authentic self, if you didn't say the things that you thought about that you felt 
I mean, that would be I would say that's your superpower as as a creative person who uses you know your words and personality for for a living well, if you're not your authentic self you're just like every other person or or worse you have to access that that essence of of who you really are well yeah i would say yes um you know you know saying the quiet things out loud is what makes people funny you know or yes. makes them provocative or interesting to listen to and being comfortable Sharing personal things is also another, you know, thing I've done for a living. And and that's why in this show I've had no problem sharing when I've had breakdowns and when things haven't gone well for me. And, you know, and what I was going to say about, you know, this group of guys I play with, you know, like it, it goes back to the Joe Parent thing about, you know, if you're if somebody is distracting you. And this is part of the reason I keep bringing this back to Tim's blog, because there's lots in it that we've discussed on the show. There's, there's some great wisdom in there, but part of it is if you're annoyed by somebody's music or the way they're talking during your play, or they're standing in your line, or they didn't mark the ball or the pin in pin out debate. That is just ridiculous. If you're annoyed by it, if you're annoyed by it and you're not sticking up for yourself or being a self-advocate or whatever you want to say, then you're fucking your own golf game. And the thing is, you're a, there's a low-level grade annoyance that if you don't say something, then you're, you're losing. It is going to affect how you play. And I'll just finish by saying, I, don't, I won't stand for that because... I, I need, I know what I need to do to hit a good golf shot and you standing there or your ball being in my line or you continuing to talk, I just will stop and go, just hang on a second. I don't want to be a dick about it, but I, I, I want to hit the best shot I can. So I need you to stop moving. And I have no problem telling you that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, sometimes I wonder if that's just the product of being over 60. <laughs> but I know younger people who will who will stand up for themselves. Um, yeah, it's like Joe Parent said, uh, it's like if you're standing over a shot and you're uncomfortable or not focused and say it's because of someone talking or someone's balls, you know, you're, you're trying to putt and you can see out of the corner of your eye that their ball right there. That's what Joe Parent would call an anyway. Called an anyway, exactly. And and when you ever hit an anyway, that's I I think that will that should go on Joe Parent's gravestone, inventor of the phrase. Well, because we anyway. we've referenced we only interviewed the guy once. We've referenced him referenced him constantly. In, in one of our first years. One of the first year. I'll tell you where where it comes in is like this. Okay, and then this is an example he used. You're, you 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 have the yardage. It's whatever it is, and you think it's a seven iron. You get over the ball. And the lie's a bit different. The, maybe it's a bit above your feet. And now you think, oh, maybe I should get the six iron and choke down on it instead of the seven iron. And you go ahead and swing and you hit in anyway. Well, that's, that's what he would describe. But I'll tell you where it comes from. It comes from partly not wanting to step away and say to your group, I've got to change clubs now. Like we've just spent five minutes looking for your ball. Yeah. But for some reason, guys will be self-conscious about stepping away from a shot and you know it bugs me because 
You know, I don't lose a lot of golf balls. I just don't. Uh, I don't look for, you're not, when you play with me, you're not looking for a lot of Howard's golf balls. And yet I get this, sometimes I get this rep like, oh, he's a slow player. Fuck you. I, we're not looking for my ball. So if I want to step away from the seven iron and go to get the six iron, then screw it. I'll do it. But I still do this. Sorry, guys. I mean, it bugs me that I say that. I've said this yeah. to you on the show before. I hate that I say it, but I do it. I just say, oh, you know, sorry, guys, give me a minute. Meanwhile, I've been looking for your ball for six holes. Minute after minute of wasting my golf time looking for your ball, but I still say, I'll do this. You know, and it happened to me a couple times over putts where I'm just not comfortable. And I step away and I go, oh, sorry, guys, like I'm wasting everyone's precious time. Yeah, so, I know, I know. It's just, so that it's, drives me crazy. I know, but it's also what I, uh, I believe is that... Um, you know, why won't we stand up for ourselves? You know, you know, because we're again, if you kind of go down the go down. OK, so we're afraid of being judged because of what people might think or say we have zero control over what they may think or say. So we don't. So, so it makes no sense. It's completely stupid, illogical to do anything based on what we perceive may happen. But we do it anyways. Yeah. Why? The same way you say you're sorry, the same way I will sometimes just do things anyways, despite me, because, yeah, we're human and we're going to screw up and we're not going to stand up for ourselves. And we're going to sometimes discern, oh, maybe it's just best to just shut up and get a, go ahead with this um, because you just we'll never know. There's things going on sometimes that we just can't reason in the moment for sure. But it's just... Um, I, again, I think it just comes down to so much of of uh, our fear of being our our true selves, the saying what we believe, uh, advocating for ourselves, and because this is me. Because again, we come from a, a you know Fred Shoemaker, um, you know, and say, well, I want you to have access to your natural swing. Why would I want to do that? I suck. My natural <laughs> right. swing is horrible. Why would I want to do that? I want to do the swing I see on YouTube. You know, one of the most impressive. you, man. One of the most impressive things, and I, I've told this story. It's I'll tell it really quickly, though. One of the most impressive things that I first noticed about Charles Fitzsimmons, PhD, was our very first. I guess it was the qualifier for the Better Ball about five years ago. First time I played a competitive round with him, and I told the story about how he showed up and all he did was stretch. Everyone is pounding balls, and including me, all trying to do the same thing, which is find your golf swing, all that nonsense. And there was this guy, this, and he's not easy to miss. He's a tall giant of a man, and he's not hitting any balls. And I kept thinking to myself, is this guy gonna? Is he not gonna hit us some fucking balls at some point? And you know what? Like literally up till the last minute, he stood on that range next to me, talking to some people all the while stretching. It had to be 15 minutes. And I thought, that's impressive because nobody else is doing it. So, you know, I've adopted that. Like, I won't hit a golf ball till I'm ready physically. Now, sometimes, you know, on a summer's day when it's 35 degrees, that could take five to eight minutes. Sometimes when it's colder, and I keep on going. Like, I, don't, I just don't, I don't have a set time. I just don't do it until I feel like all those muscles are ready. And yeah, it's, you know, I've had people mock me for it and make fun of me. And I know it's a curiosity among the Milton White guys, but I don't care. 
Yeah. And I know they well, think, and to what you're pointing, you know, I know they think, oh, Megan Howard, he thinks he think he is, and he's all about the golf. And I know all that shit. I don't care. I don't care because I'm taking care of my own needs in that moment, and that's what I think I need in order to hit a golf ball. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I, I really admired about uh, Charles was basically he didn't give a flying fuck about what people thought. And there was many people in the Ontario University golf community thought it was a freaking tragedy that here was a man in his early 30s playing against kids. I thought it was wonderful. Yep. He didn't because care. Here was a model and a mentor. And here's a guy. He was a student. The rules allowed if you were a student, you could play. That's right. He was playing. He was a PhD. Yeah, to let some people know, he was a PhD candidate for years. Exactly. Long after most men would be too embarrassed, self-conscious to continue to play university golf. Yeah. And he knew what people were saying about him. You know, the only guy who was playing in the field with gray hair. <laughs> That's true. He was just premature, right? Like, like a guy. Yeah, guy. But it is uh, true. But but he played anyways. And, and, and there was a... I, I probably won't get the age right, but there was a woman who, after raising her kids, um, went back to university, and she was in her either late 30s, early 40s, and she was on the rowing team. Mm. For, it was either Laurier or Waterloo, one of those schools out you know, in, in the Kitchener-Waterloo area. And I thought, what a wonderful story. That mm-hmm. is amazing. Think of the experience that those kids would have with this fellow teammate who has all this experience that they could draw on and how that woman could express herself compete just have all the joys and you know hanging with those kids you know it's just is amazing and so i just the other connection i wanted to make was now i'm i forget his name because i'm 65 years old and i forget lots of things uh the guy in this this the spanish golfer on the champions tour and hell, uh, Jimenez. Exactly. I mean, there's the guy with the man bun and, yep. you know, smoking cigars. Exactly. Those black and white shoes. He loved, you know, doing his little throwback. knee warm up that he exactly. does. Exactly. That's my point. He yeah, would man. His little warm ups. And I remember when he first came on the Champions Tour, they would show him. And it was kind of like, I know. Look at Miguel. Isn't he an oddball? And he did it anyways. And, oh, yeah, and he happened to win a few Champions Tour events, didn't he? Um, didn't give a flying fadoo about what anyone thinks. Um, you can take that to extremes. I'm not telling you to you know order everyone around, but if you don't, if you're not standing up and being yourself, who the hell are you? You know, there's a phrase I'm sure it was in a movie years ago that most men, and it was men, live lives of quiet desperation. Well, I would tell you that that yeah. really translates to golf that most guys are out there. And that's why, you know, for a while, a couple of years ago, I was very much, once I became golf spiritual leader, I was very much about advocating to other, or you know, if you want to use a uh, religious uh, proselytizing, I was really into bringing my message to the people. And I, I've sort of stopped now because I realize, you know, not everyone wants to hear it. Not everyone cares what I know about stats and the average PGA Tour player in proximity. And I can just see that, it, you know, I don't think it did me any favors. Not that I give a shit, but I just I the guys that like that information usually come to me 
Mm-hmm. But what I've noticed when I say about these these live, the golfers live this life of just kind of a low grade frustration, and they and I see I sometimes feel bad for them because I know it's like it's an emotional barrier, not a physical one. The emotional barrier to being a better golfer is more of an impact, I think, on the average player than what position they are in on their backswing. Hundred percent. This is this is. This is the area of the game that just fascinates the hell out of me. And I think that it's one of the greatest predictors of whether you're going to play well, uh, whether you're going to be a good person to play with, and the experience you're going to have is your awareness of what's going on to you uh, emotionally and how that feeds thinking that leads to, say, anxiety and doubts and falling back into patterns of, quite frankly, addiction. Mm-hmm. Now, when we say a word like addiction, we're talking, you know, people, most people think, you know, alcohol and drugs, but there's also ad- addicting ways that, that, that our minds work. Um, you know, get in a certain situation and then start, you know, for sake of a golfer who says, okay, today I'm just going to, um, I'm just going to make smooth swings, whatever. But he hits, you know, two drives dead right and so by the fourth hole he's tramping down the fairway thinking okay what was that thing i used to do okay i'll do that next time i'll (laughs) I'll make sure i finish my backswing or i'll keep my left arm straight well that doesn't work so he goes down the rabbit hole you know looks through his mental rolodex so he's right again back right down that rabbit hole of reactive thinking that keeps him screwed over constantly and so i to link it right back it comes back to that he had a feeling of 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 a disappointment that becomes anger that becomes frustration that becomes resignation and he falls right back into the patterns of behavior that keep him stuck and isn't that the definition of insanity we we all have done this we all have these patterns of behavior that we think well you said it really well said at the beginning of the show when you said that you know we're not really even aware that it's having the impact on us that it's having. You said it better than that. But basically the idea is that, you know, we're not, we don't know how we're feeling. We just, and, and we're comfortable expressing anger and frustration and disappointment. But there's another thing and it's happened to me many times where I just feel, I leave the golf course feeling sad, which yeah. is a weird emotion about a game that's supposed to be my favorite thing in the world. But I, you know, I, a lot of this I went through with uh, Kathy Hartwood. And Kathy's great, by the way. Her podcast, Above Par, is just a bite-sized 15-minute. You know, she talks a lot about this stuff, too, about the idea that if we play well, we get to feel good about ourselves. If we play poorly, we don't get to feel good about ourselves. So that's why we get mad yeah. and disappointed that, oh, here we go again. Now I have to feel shitty because I shot a number that I doesn't line up with how I see myself mm-hmm. and what I what the image I want to project. Right. And, you know, I'm list, finishing off your blog here. It's in front of me. And, and what I like the way you wrap it up again, you talk about Joe parent, but uh, what, what Tim says here as he's finishing, he says, I'm, I'm inviting you to advocate for yourself, defend your boundaries and speak your truth when it's appropriate. This is my favorite line. Living like a victim or in fear is no way to live. Brooding and feeling resentful sucks. And I can tell you a lot of golf drive homes for me are both are all of that brooding, 
feeling resentful and feeling sad about it. Mm-hmm. Like how the, how can that even be? But it happens to all of us. Absolutely. But the thing is, is that um, so we're what we're both saying is 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 that it. You're not supposed to feel sad. Yeah, if you feel sad, you feel sad. There's something going on there, and 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 that will happen. And, but you see, when I was talking about earlier about being emotionally literate in 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 our society, we're not comfortable with feelings of particularly you know uh, fear, shame, and um, yeah, fear, shame, sadness. So what do we do? We try to ignore them, make them go away, uh, pour alcohol on it, um, keep ourselves busy. Uh, do some activity, make that shit go away. And when you make those things go away, uh, you never resolve them. You just push them down into, um, into our unconscious and they come up anyways. Like you keep pushing that anger down because you're not saying something, say to your partner. Um, well, if you're really triggered by something and things are, you know, tension, anxiety, that anger you've been suppressing, that, that could come out really sideways and just be something. And you say things you regret and do things you regret. Not unlike the guy who's, you're playing along and he's hitting a few squirrely shots and next thing, <laughs> whoop, whoop, you see the club go flying. Oh, yeah. You know, or he might even break a club or whatever. That, like I say, those emotions, if we don't just, if we just, it, it doesn't mean to wallow in grief. It doesn't mean to you know, curl up in a puddle of tears around your buds. No, it means just acknowledging within yourself, oh, this is what's going on. Yeah, and, and, and understanding, you know, what's the story there? Well, I've been feeling good about my golf, and today I thought I would break 40 on the front nine. Yeah. And I did. And I can tell you, um, and I won't name names, but he knows who he is. Uh, some of the smartest people I know, one in particular, you know, and he's a very bright gentleman and he loves his golf. But, man, he experiences a lot of what we're talking about and he's working his way through it because he's smart enough to recognize it's not serving him. And I can tell you, it didn't serve me. Um, yeah, I'm part of what and certainly my evolution is definitely getting older and less energy for, you know, displays of extreme because i when i say i was the worst i ever met when i i tell people that they i think they think i'm being sort of jokey joke but i've very rarely been around a golfer that displayed anger to the extreme that i did and it it requires it's a a young man's game because it definitely requires a certain amount of energy i just finished an entire golf season where i threw one club and uh i was uh it wasn't that long ago. It was just a couple months ago. I was playing, and I was in uh, one of the. I was in a bunch of bunkers one day at Glen Karen, and finally I was in a greenside bunker with a sod wall in front of me. Oh, and I, yeah. and I couldn't get the ball out of it, and I was so pissed off. I threw my sand wedge into the face of the bunker, like pretty violently, and then it sort of passed over pretty quickly. And then I just I, the reason I mentioned it is I looked at my I was looking at my uh, wedge the other day. I'm like, why is there why is it bent? I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> it's just it's just just below the grip. There's a little indentation. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that that time. But that was really it for me where there wasn't a time that long, not that long ago where I was throwing clubs or bashing it into the ground or hitting my shins with my putter, which was legendary. I was yeah. I was doing that all the time. Like 
It takes a lot of energy to do that. It also takes energy away from playing the game. Yeah, but, you know, it, it, it so much of it is if we just sort of, you know, it, you know, certainly you and I are not advocating uh, that, that, you know, and sort of being your authentic self or feeling that, that you, you know, just let it all go in front, but just to let it, to let it out rather than suppress it. Just mean, you know, if you hook a drive, you know, into the trees and you bang your club down and say, fuck. Yeah. That's, that's fine. It's what yeah. you do next is, is like, oh, okay. Oh boy. There we go. So what do I need to do? Well, maybe I'll go back to my cart as I get a ball and maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll breathe. Maybe I'll just relax. Maybe I'll just feel what's going on in my body. And, 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 um, that way we can just kind of move on th- through it. Um, there's no magical um, recipe to any of this. There isn't. And, you know, I was self, I think I, you know, I, I, I selfishly, and I say that because why I've tried to put that, and I say extreme anger, because everyone like, you know, yeah, I, I hit a bad shot and I go, fuck, you got to be kidding me or, you know, really? Yeah. Um, but those moments don't they're not visceral they're not they're not shooting my cortisol through the roof because you know i can't remember who it was on our show recently it might have even been the humble and fred show but somebody was talking about how long it takes for your cortisol to go down yeah so long it takes a long longer than most people realize it takes 90 Mm -hmm. seconds for you to get back to even a to be sort of level but it takes a long time after depending on how how much you lean into that extreme. And again, when I talk about extreme anger, I'm talking about bashing myself like to where I've broken the skin on my shins from missing a putt. But I did it. One of the reasons I wanted to get better at the mental side of the game was so that selfishly I could shoot lower scores, you know, because I knew that something was, and that's why I said a minute ago, you can work on your golf swing in the off season as I'm going to. But what will get you to where you want to go is shepherding how you feel. Mm-hmm. And not, we're not talking about Doolin's uh, state management now. We're, we're just talking about how you feel, you know, about yourself and how that shows up as you advocate, as, a, as your blog says so nicely, as you advocate for yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, I think one of the core things that, and I, I just came to this realization through, um, there's a there's a school of thinking around this kind of stuff. You could call it personal development, spirituality, whatever, called the Enneagram, E N N E A gram. And I was reading uh, a piece that was talking about it's about less about particularly as I saw it, how how we can see it as golf. It's not about trying to achieve a certain state. It's not about trying to get myself in a, in a place where I achieve flow or equanimity or whatever you want. It's not about my managing my state. It's really about my awareness. What is happening? And so if I hit a hook, a tee shot into the woods and I whap my club down and say, fuck, then I go, Oh, well, okay. Kind of jacked up right now. What do I need to do? I need to lower the thermostat, as you say. I love that phrase. And so now from that place of awareness, now I can respond. But if I'm not aware that I'm angry and I'm considering and I'm not talking to my fellow competitors, 
and I'm grinding my teeth and I got, you know, like the white knuckles showing on my, when I hold the grip. If I don't have that awareness, then I'm in that ego trance of the stories, the belief system, the identity, all that stuff is just, it's chaos. It's like, is he just as talking about our brains are just firing at this high, at this state of basically survival. And if you're, so if I'm not aware of that's going on, then I can't change it. Right. And I'm basically hooked and caught in it. And, and that's why I, you know, I've come to, and not just because of your blog, but because of our conversations the last couple of years, especially the last year for me, where that emotional baggage that you're carrying from shot to shot is really what's standing in the way from you, you know, maybe breaking through to some new level. Cause I can tell you, you know, look, I was looking back on the, the season and, you know, I, like overall, it was pretty good for me, I guess. But there was a couple of significant events where I just didn't play very well. And I thought to myself, well, what was going on? And I can tell you that for sure the Ontario Senior Am and a couple other events where I really was feeling pretty good about my game. Ironically enough, these moments happened to me when I was feeling decent about how how I was swinging versus, you know, not having any expectations. The point being that it was the emotional response to that stimulus that that didn't allow me to play my best. And I think that's the, the same for a lot of the guys listening, that if you really want to look at what's holding you back, it isn't that you're not very good at chipping. It's how you respond to when you hit a bad chip, which we all do, by the way. That's the other thing I said. Just let me all finish by saying that that's why it's important to look at your rounds sort of in a clinical way. Like, cause I think most of us over index on how many bad shots we hit. Right. And that's why you think, Oh, I'm a, not a good putter. I don't chip very well. San, I don't like being in greenside bunkers because the odd time that you hit a bad shot in those situations, that's all you can remember. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, again, some of the rounds that I played, the club championship, the Ontario Senior Am, where I just didn't play very well, I, I thought it was a swing issue, but it was an emotional issue. And I think, I think that's universal. Yeah, but that's the thing that really fascinates me. And I know that um, it's my own little portal, if you will. I mean, it's just my experience, is that I think we really underestimate in golf the impact that our emotions have on on our game and we're looking in the wrong places just like you said um you know i'm not driving it well so i come off the of the game off off the course and go straight to the range and trying to work on you know, what am i doing with my right elbow or whatever as opposed to um yeah i hit a couple squirrely drives and and you got angry and then you get caught in a story uh, about your driving and how this stuff's not working that you've been trying and oh and just going down the rabbit hole yeah yeah of the of the stories and had so it didn't have anything to do with whether you were uh posting up on your on your lead leg you know or anything it had nothing to do with that it had to do with how you were feeling and and, um, and how you responded to it because exactly I, carl morris was was uh he said this perfectly, particularly when Peter Costas was doing the, what, what do they call it, the Minolta swing? Actually, it took about yeah, yeah. 15 minutes to say. I miss Peter Costas. I used to love him. The oh, Min- yeah. Miss Mon- the Minolta Costas swing was- hub biz uh, yeah, analyzer. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> and so after someone would hit a, a squirrely shot, invariably you'd see now not, it's not to pick on Peter Costas. It was a, a he is a, a golf instructor. And so this was a unique thing that he had, but they would do that thing that show it in painfully slow motion. Why Darren Clark hit a shank or why Webb Simpson duck hooked it. Right. And he would say, well, here's why he got stuck on his backswing or whatever the, the mal, mal, malady yeah. of the day was. And, um, and Carl Moore said, said, I remember we talked on this podcast or elsewhere that, um, so they went through all this technical diagnosis. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Webb Simpson or Darren Clark had just had two, three putts in a row and an argument with his caddy on the way to the tee. You think that had some influence? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, way more than he got stuck on his back on uh, on his through swing. Even a small thing. And, and I think it had there's there are larger. It's easy to see somebody when they lose their mind and start, you know, throwing their club into a sod wall. OK, but there's also <laughs> the insidious little emotional attachments we have. You know, a guy gets up to a hole. And this happens to all of us, too, where you're not really comfortable with the way it looks off the tee. Oh, we're but back ra- to number 10 of Blue Springs. But number 10. I hate number 10. <laughs> but rather than acknowledge it, we try and suppress it. We try and pretend yep. that it doesn't affect us. And so we get up there and, you know, we have an emotional attachment to this tee shot or that shot over the water or whatever it is. And as you said, you know, we push it down. It doesn't get dealt with. And you'll go the entire year and not want to acknowledge that maybe... When you get to number 10 at Blue Springs, you just hit a hybrid off the tee, get it in play, lay up short of the hazard, get on in three, make your bogey, and move on, as opposed to, once again, you know, thrashing it into the trees, getting pissed off, and your whole back nine is, why can't I play 10? Exactly. And that that little description of, it happens, I mean, we're all, there's all, you know, I have, uh, I'm uncomfortable with with shots. I've, I've, you know, I've told you a story of not really being super comfortable hitting high flop shots, so I just don't hit them. You know, mm-hmm. and this winter, there's a few shots I want to work on. I've acknowledged that I'm there's some weaknesses in my game, even though, you know, I shoot around par quite a bit. So I've, you know, again, my point being that 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 acknowledgement of being a little uncomfortable, that's a thing, as we've said now on this podcast, that guys aren't really very comfortable sharing. No, with, but that's with other men. Key, that's such a key thing you just hit upon. So I'll tell a quick story and then I'll say what goes on. So uh, this was maybe 10, 10 or so years ago that uh, I was in the A flight at Blue Springs and close to the lead. I think uh, I knew that if I shot, say, uh, around and around 76 or so, that I'd have a shot. Anyways, uh, I'm two over standing on the uh, 18th tee. And um, I'm just starting to feel some stuff going through my body, all this. And I hit a pretty good drive and I got a six iron to the, to the green and at blue Springs, the tradition is at the club C when you're finished, you, you push your, you pull your cart up, you grab some beers. So that by that point, because I'm in the last group or one of the last groups, there's about a hundred people up there. I, I don't know. I, I maybe it was just 50, but it looked like a hundred and all this noise and my body just, there's something going on, but I wasn't sure of what was going on. And I just 
you know, power through, do what you need to do. You know, swing smoothly was my core thought the whole day. I hit a dead shank <laughs> into the knee high fescue. And it was like, I, 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 like I sprinted over. I knew I wouldn't find it. And Thrash and Kenny Carpenter's going, hey, Timmy, uh, I don't think even if you find it, you can't hit it. So I go back, hit another shank. Oh, my God. But this one, but this one only goes into the bluegrass rough, so I can nice. find it. Somehow, miraculously, I hit a wedge onto the green, three-putted for an eight. And so basically what I'm saying is that I powered through, or so I thought, my uncomfortableness. I was n- in no way aware that my body was, it was like electricity going through it. And I had no chance of responding. I was just this rigid. The other core thing is that um, I realized later I didn't die. It was despite suffering, you know, almost like the greatest catastrophe an amateur golfer could suffer, you know, hitting two shanks in his club C in front of a hundred people. I didn't die, but I didn't acknowledge what was happening. And that has been one of the core things I've come to understand about anything is that it's that lack of acknowledging the uncomfortableness of what's actually going on. And that where we turn things around is when we a are aware and then we can respond. Otherwise, we're hooked. Yeah. It's got us. We we're out of control, basically. Well, that's a, a nice place to end. Um, and I think it's a great you know, going into the next season for all of us, that if we can find ways to be more comfortable, being uncomfortable, you know, it actually might get our listeners and ourselves closer to where we want to be, which is ultimately to enjoy the game more, shoot, you know, lower scores, improve your handicap, whatever that is. But Mm -hmm. overall, to enjoy the experience more, Whatever the experience brings you. As I said at the beginning of the show, I was going to say, I, I took like, you know, I got the vid one nine and I didn't play before I went to France with my ex-wife, which was great. And my joke was, I, I said, uh, you know, for 10 days I was with her. I didn't spend more than three hours or four hours with my ex for like 13 or 14 years. And I was constantly reminded why we were married and why we're not married, you know. So, uh, but it was great. We had a great time. Hey, you need to you need to close the loop. I think you said earlier in the podcast that you didn't touch a club for yeah, I'm getting 10 to 15 it. days and then you came back. Yeah, I'm getting to this is what I'm getting to. Oh, I'm sorry. I I'm on you my were just way. Closing so the show. No, no. So by way of so I said I didn't play or touch a club for 15 days. We'll say because I came back and I was sick for a couple of days and then I played last week when it was warm and uh my gosh. It was so, the weather was so good. So I yeah. played Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday after having not touched a club in 15 days. And I can tell you, I just hit it great. <laughs> like it was just, nice. it was just bizarre. Like, just like, I don't know what happened. I guess, uh, you know, I had, you know what it felt like? It felt like those first few rounds when you come back after the winter. How nothing really matters and you're kind of playing with a sense of freedom and, you know, you, your scores are going to get posted, but they're not, they don't have, they don't count for your handicap anymore or whatever. But, uh, I played four rounds in a row and I think I was one, two, I was five over for four hole, four rounds of golf, (laughs) you know, like it was crazy. And, and because I, because it just didn't matter to me. 
I guess is the point that I was just playing with a sense of like, this is great. It's November. Exactly. I don't really care. We're having uh, fun. We're having fun. And uh, yeah, I mean, I uh, my maybe my body needed a little bit. Of, I was I worked out yesterday with our good friend Brooke Benny Bamalam, and I said that to him. I said, you know, I think my excuse me, my shoulders felt better because I have this constant yeah. kind of inflammation. My back felt better. I mean, there's something to be said for a little bit of rest and also being away from it for a few weeks was, you know, kind of good for me. I just felt kind of a sense of renewal or or something. But well, I've often thought, I mean, for years I've been saying, basically, dude, (laughs) you're going to get burned out playing that much golf. It was this year like I've known you seven years doing this thing. And I didn't know that every day in golf season, you have a golf club in your hand every day and. And young man, it's just, I think that's way too much. Yeah. Well, I mean, but remember, some, some of those days are I always stand hitting wedges while he chases sticks. Like, I'm not. I, at, I, 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 I'm going to challenge you, young yeah, man. Yeah, I'll challenge you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I know yeah. you're. Uh, well, part uh, of it, too, is because I. Is it you, that you, that, that one day a week you don't touch a club? Share the thing. Last year and the spring. Me and GFR, ex-GFR now, girlfriend, uh, broke up. And I went, definitely, I definitely leaned into, I played more golf in 2022 than I had in years. So that was part of it, I think, for me, as I was just getting, you know, you want to talk about it being addicted and obsessive. Um, let's thank uh, everybody uh, for uh, listening. And thank you to TaylorMade for once again signing on to uh, be our title sponsor. Uh, we'll be telling you all about the brand new TaylorMade equipment, which we're going to be previewing. Uh, some point in the next couple months, we'll uh, let you know what the new stealth is like. Uh, O'ConnorGolf.ca, what do you want uh, people to know? Tell them. Um, that there's a treasure trove of <laughs> blogs that go back years and years. <laughs> That's right. Um, so wonderful reading, if I will say so myself, because, hey... I'm in the Ontario Golf Hall of Fame. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say you're a Hall of Famer, so everyone else can suck it. <laughs> How's that for being authentically? No, I love it. Uh, braggadocious. I was going to say it anyway. Uh, you should put that on your uh, on your blog somewhere. I'm in the Hall of Fame, and you can eat it. Uh, all right, thank you very much, kids. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Competition in other places.